So today we're going to go through chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. That's going to be our plan and our, our mission. Um, I've been moving slowly, purposefully. Maybe as we move forward, we might speed up the pace. We'll kind of see what happens in the coming weeks and how the structure of the, of the text kind of takes. Does that make sense? Last week I opened up with a couple of passages of scripture that speaks about this in general and, and, what, and what we believe this to be. And we let the scripture speak for itself. And Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow judging the attitudes and the thoughts of the heart. And then it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, anybody know this one? I said it last week. Oh, y'all get D's. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All scripture is inspired, and that, and that word in the Greek actually is breathed, breathed out. All scripture is breathed out by God. If you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, what did God's breath do? It breathed life into human beings. The writers of scripture knew this, understood this, Paul understood this, and this is how we are going to approach the Bible. It's the word of God. It judges our attitudes, it judges our hearts, it judges our thoughts. It's his breath. So when we're opening this up right now, we are encountering the breath of God, the living word. So I said this last week, all theology, meaning all study of God, which Bible study is a study of God, must become autobiography. Did everybody catch that last week? It's really important that you catch that. Paul's going to actually show us why it's important to catch that in our verses. So, we have a called out Jewish follower of Jesus named Paul. He's an eyewitness to the risen Christ. Jesus came to him in the midst of his wickedness, going to persecute his church, and saved him. And then, he's completely sold out for the rest of his life, to bring people to a saving knowledge of new life in Jesus. And he wrote this book, and he wrote prolifically. I mean, Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. Planted churches all over the Middle East, all over Europe. And he's writing this little letter from prison to a church that he planted 10 years prior. Roughly in this, where we're at in the text, when it was written, they say about A.D. 62, Okay. I'm sorry, that's when it was written. And he, he planted the church there in about A.D. 52. So the church is about 10 years old, give or take, at this time. This church began under extreme duress and much violence and persecution. This little church started its life in turmoil. But the beauty of the gospel of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit in Christ still wins in spite of pain of death, beatings, prison, even human meddling. Say, God always wins. A believer in Christ 
always wins no matter what comes. And I believe Paul was living here in his heart and his mind. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, for this reason, for joy, I'm sorry, for this is the reason for the joy, always in everything and every situation is knowing Jesus, your Lord, is better than life. We're gonna, we're, he's going to actually, in, in the next uh, chapter, Right before chapter two, he's going he's gonna to say something really, really important, and we're going to get to that. But I want us to get some more context this morning. So this morning, wow, yeah, I'm used to preaching in the morning. This evening, so I want us to turn to Acts chapter 16 really quick. If you have your Bible, we're going to get some more context of the Philippian church. This is good stuff here. This is actually when Paul plants the church in Philippi. He gets what is called the Macedonian call. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. He was a, his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by, by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was Greek, and as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for, I'm sorry, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they were increased in number daily. Luke is writing this, and he's telling us that Paul did something with Timothy so that the Jews wouldn't get mad at him when, they, when he went into the synagogues to tell them about Jesus. He was trying to break down any kind of uh, resistance to, to the gospel. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go out into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Choaz, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following day to Neapolis. So these guys are booking. They're jamming. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized... Her household, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. 
She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, say greatly annoyed, (laughs) he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out, or it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. This crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Excuse me, listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Though he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire house that he had believed in God. But when the magistrates... But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, said to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. When they, heard that they were, when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them. That's awesome. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had, when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. A lot of words, a lot of, a lot of scripture there, but that is the birth of the Philippian church. That's what happened. Paul got arrested, got beat up, and they tr- quietly tried to get him out of town. He's like, no, 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 no. You guys messed up big time. Now he's in prison again, and he's writing this letter. All right, let's jump into Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 and 12, 7 through 12. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. 
For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Word of the Lord. So Paul's in this miserable situation that none of us would want to be in. None of us want to be in his shoes. But Paul's saying here right now in this verse for him to feel that what, okay, let me say it this way. In verse six last week, we talked about, he talked about God finishing his work in them. And he's saying it's right for him to feel that way about them. It's right. And he feels this way because he has them in his heart. And this love for them has been produced by Jesus himself. That's what it says. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So there's, there's, there's something happening here. He's showing us something that takes place in the life of, of a believer, and he's gonna develop this out. This love for them has been produced by Christ itself, and it's, it's, it's a Christ-originating kind of love. Paul knows the love of Christ. He knows it. It's in his life. He's one with, with Christ. He, by faith, he's one with, with the Lord. He knows that love, and that love that he feels for the Philippians is that same love. He's identifying a key function in the body of Christ. And it's in this word, fellowship. Say fellowship. <laughs> I just watched uh, The Lord of the Rings recently. And uh, the Fellowship of the Ring and all the ragtag group of guys get together and, and, and gals and, and they're, they're on this journey together. They have this one purpose, Right? That word that he uses in, back in verse 6 and 5 is koinonia. Then he uses, the, uses a different Greek word, but it's similar. It's sankoinos, and it means partake, it's partakers. So you have fellowship, union, then you have partakers. It's still this, this function of union and partnership. And it's the partnership, it's a fellowship in grace. It's a unity and a common bond of love in the spirit of Christ. Now, he's going to develop this more as we go forward in, in the entire book. But this idea of partnering and fellowship is talked about nine times in Philippians. In, in our verses here, what they're partnering in and how, we can how can we learn from it today. So they're partners in grace. It's what it says. For God is my witness, 
How I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment that you may be able to, oh, I'm sorry, you are partakers of me with grace. It's back in verse seven. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the gospel. So they're partners in grace. Partners in grace. Let's think about that just for a minute. I'm married. And I know at times in my life, it's been really easy for me to be a partaker of grace. But it hasn't been as easy to look at my wife and go, oh, you're a partaker of grace too. I have to be, I have to give you just as much grace as I give for myself. Do you guys hear that? This Greek word is, is charis, or charis is, is is how you say it, and it's, the, it's, it's used to describe the undeserved favor of God. It's used 146 times in the New Testament. To say that it's a theme of Paul and the theme of the New Testament and the theme of the gospel is like, is like an understatement, this idea of grace, the grace of God. And, and he's saying, we are, you're partners with me in grace. Then you're also partners with me in my imprisonment. The Philippian church was actually sending money to help him out. They were sending goods. They were, they were helping him in his imprisonment. And then they were partners in the defense of the gospel. That word defense is apologia. It's where we get the word apologize or apologetics from. The defense of the gospel, the good news. I want to take a look at Paul's prayer real quick. It says, it's, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Remember how I said earlier that all study of God, all theology must, must become autobiography, meaning it must, be, it must become a part of who you are. It must affect your life in some way or it just, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's not, it doesn't do anything. It's, it's nothing. Knowledge and the consuming of information can become an idol in our hearts. Somebody say Amen. See, knowledge is not the key to faith or growth in the Christian life of following Jesus. So why the heck are we out of Bible study? Because it's his word. It's the living, it's the breath of God. It's the living word. That's why, because it's, it's God. We want to be close to him, right? The key to knowledge, Paul is saying here, is a love for Jesus. It's a love for Jesus. From this love for Jesus springs our knowledge, our wisdom, and discernment. I'm going to throw some other scriptures in at you real quick because 
it's good when you're looking at scriptures and you see ones that, you, that, that are a little less clear and you want to learn more to allow other scriptures to speak to those ones. So we're going to do that right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 and 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or if I, have a, if I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Say nothing. The book of Ephesians, Paul is speaking here again, and he's, this is one of the prayers of Paul. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in what? May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the what? The knowledge of Christ? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Colossians chapter 2, 1 and 3 says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see that a, a foundational relationship with Jesus is how your knowledge and discernment grows. It's a love relationship that you have with God in Christ first. As you, as you step into that, it's, it's, not, it's not a head thing. It's, it's a heart thing. It's a spirit thing. See, as your love grows for Christ and each other, so does your knowledge and discernment for the sake of his glory being revealed in and through you. I'm going to ask a question. Um, the question is, in the idea of being partakers of grace, Paul is like identifying with the believers in Philippi and saying, you guys are partakers with me of grace, and you know the grace of God. You are believers and you're following Jesus and, and you're even helping me in prison and you're even out there somehow defending and, and ready to defend the gospel. You're out there 
talking to people about Jesus in Philippi. They are, they're, they're, just, they're just down. They, they are really, really amazing people that love Jesus, and they've come into contact with him in a way that has affected the trajectory of their life. I know in my experience in church over the years, it has been really hard at times to extend or to even look at somebody in the church, maybe you've even known for a long time, and extend them grace. Anybody want to talk about that for a second? You know, as I look at this, I'm looking at different things, and, you know, the thing that hinders me from, you know, not just receiving grace, but displaying it and giving grace, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's just our own, to just be straight up, it's our own religious self-righteousness, our expectations, not just of me, but of other people that, you know, I think they should do it like this. And I think at this point in their life, they should know better by now. You know, we start doing these things and, and I feel like that is a stumbling block for ourselves and even for myself especially. And, and I'll be the first to admit that it is a natural tendency for everybody to have a little bit of religious self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. We are prone to go down that road and think, well, look at me. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it well. Why can't right. you? You know, it's this, yes. it's, it's a, look at me, you should do it like me. You're still to, going through that? I do. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. You think I would know better by now? Let's talk about grace for a minute, guys. Come on, you can do it. All right. Well, just sometimes somebody will rub me wrong that comes here that I don't know, and I don't mean to, but and I pray about it, and it will go away if I trust God. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like that. I like that. No, it's nice. I mean, that was good. You, you, you brought confession, and then you, you know. <laughs> oh, there you go. I guess I, I look for grace because uh, uh, I, I, I told Eric uh, I'm, I'm a baby in this. Um, I was born and raised Catholic, um, mm -hmm. but uh, reading comprehension is not my strong suit, so that's mm -hmm. why I'm here tonight uh, <laughs> to kind of help fun, fumble through some of the word of the God and, and uh, um, put that perspective in. So um, not understanding everything, but I, I look for grace uh, from fellowship uh, through this path. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I appreciate that, Josh. I'm going to try to say this, but in an understandable way. Um, I have found my areas of woundedness provoke friction in uh, extending grace sometimes because I'm just struggling with getting healing um, in, like, my own area. And so then I'm like, well... I don't know, you know, I'm still kind of wounded, so <laughs> then I, I might not even realize that I'm needing to accept grace for myself and therefore having a difficult time extending it to others. Yeah, so I think what Erica said brought up an interesting point for me. Um, you know, Paul's talking about fellowship and later in another 
letters he talks about the body of Christ and how we're one building in many, you know, all those wonderful analogies about the body of Christ and the church. Um, and what Erica said kind of sparked something because she was talking about being wounded and having friction, trouble, extending grace in those wounded areas. Um, and that's part of kind of, I think, the beauty of the body of Christ and kind of the, um, the great master plan of it is where, you know, one person has a more difficult time extending grace. The other person sitting right next to you probably has a much easier time extending grace. And so we kind of all work together in that. Where one is weak, the other strong. And um, like Paul in this very situation, he's literally having to rely on people miles and miles away for yeah. his sustenance right right and this is a that's a physical reality and this is the concept of joining together and partnering in grace is more of the spiritual reality of what's going on where they are it's not just extending receiving grace from the lord but also receiving grace from each other um Amen. from the church at philippi and from um in this case, Timothy, <laughs> right, right. Yep. Together, yep. it's kind of this this push pull constantly, right. And yes. we experience that in family a lot. And I think for a lot of us, it's very easy for us to relate it to family, because we kind of have to, like yeah. you know, you have to love your kids and you have to love your parents. That's you just you just have to. <laughs> whereas <laughs> it's it's a it's. Whereas in the body of Christ, it tends to kind of get pushed off to the side because yes. they're not have tos necessarily. You know, if you don't love your kids, they, they don't eat and then they die. <laughs> Whereas the people around us in church, that's not the case necessarily. And so I think it is a call to be much more intentional about our grace giving. And grace is a lot more than just, oh, I'm going to have understanding for your trouble. I'm going to have understanding for the struggle you're going through. Right. It's, it's, it's very, it's an intentional back and forth fellowship, whether it's monetary, whether it's prayer, whether it's listening. It's, it's a lot of things. What? Allowing, Allowing people to grow. People to make yeah. Well, and exactly. And also if we're looking at grace from God's perspective, grace from God Come is on. power. Right. And so if we're extending grace to each other, we are literally pushing each other up, not just having understanding, but Amen. empowering each other, whether it's through, I don't know, prayer or physical works of service or mm -hmm. um, any number of things. Um, and that's, I think, what Paul as the Philippians are doing to Paul here, they're physically supporting him. Yeah. That is a spiritual act of grace. Yes. Right? Right. Um, so. It's, a, it's even a confirmation of right. their receiving of God's yes, grace. Yes, 100%. That they're, yeah. So there's much. If you're in grace and you know grace, you're going to extend grace. And... Like Erica was saying, I think that we, we, all of us are just where we're at on the journey. And it's okay to be where you're at on the journey. You can't, I wish I could, I've tried to make myself 
tomorrow or even right now what God is going to make me into over a lifetime. All of us would love to do that. I know we would. Because trusting that process in yourself and then trusting that in the other person as well. I mean, Paul's like really um, showing us this idea of fellowship, this idea of love in the body of Christ for the people of God, that there is this, there is this deep communion and this deep love between people in the body of Christ. It's, it's, we're his body. I know some of us look around and we don't want to extend much grace and we don't know what part of the body they are. They're, they look like an appendix. They don't do anything and they might blow up and kill you. I heard somebody say that once. It was a heck of funny. So I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. It's really, it, it's true. Can I follow up a little bit on that one? Too? Go for it, man. So I think also a lot of times in the church, um, we tend to, like you said, we see the appendixes and we, uh, we say, oh, let's pray for them and let's, uh, <laughs> let's think of, uh-huh, uh-huh. there's a lot of waiting on, waiting on God to do something for that person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think Paul is very clearly saying that being a partner in grace is uh, you partaking in that person's life. Yeah. And you pushing them upward as opposed to waiting. And I'm not saying we don't wait on God. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying yeah, waiting yeah, yeah. on God to fix that person. Right. Amen. So Amen. in this case, God's provision to Paul were the people of Philippi. An angel did not come down. And God's done that before, so that's not unusual, right? But right. an angel did not come down and feed Paul like he did for mm-hmm. Elijah, right? He did, right? He's not doing this. He's directing the people of Philippi to send him money to sustain him. Yeah. And so what that teaches us, I think, is we in order to be the true church, to have true fellowship with one another, it involves us empowering each other to be the best Christians, brothers, sisters, whatever may, that may be. And in the case of us in our real lives, what that looks like, you know, because sometimes those things, be the best Christian is kind of this nebulous idea. I think it means, yeah, that's oh, hokey. I'm going to talk to, or you're a dad, well, I'm going to try to empower you to be the best dad. I'm going to try to empower you to be the best husband. I'm going to try to empower you to be the best. Um, like Josh was saying about his, you know, questions about reading. Comp- I'm going to empower you to be the best, you know, reader mm-hmm. and how to understand all those different things. Amen. That's our job. That's Amen. And I think that what you're, what you're describing there is, is, what, is what Paul is saying. He's like, God's my witness. He's like saying, God knows how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's, that's what he's talking about. That there's, there's, there's something inside of you, not something, it's Jesus and his love that's alive inside of you that, that you're in relationship with. It is going to pour out over onto other people in the body, in the church, and then also your neighbors. There's something that shows up again in this passage that showed up last week as well. Um, so we talked about grace, uh, we talked about fellowship, 
talked about this affection, this love that's inside of us, that is Christ's love, that is for us, but it's also, it, it, just, it just bleeds out in, into other people's lives. And there is this saying here for the day of Christ. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He's talking about growth. And he's talking about the love, that very love that he's talking about, that affection that is of Christ Jesus, with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's the love that he's talking about. May abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, that's the, that's the therefore, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So again, there, there's, there's a process that's being described there. There's, there's this future event, the day of Christ. It's the second time we've seen it. We saw it last week. He's saying that you are going to be in process in the love of Jesus Tell the day of Christ. That's, that's what's being said there. And as you're going through that, as you are living through that, you're going to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. But for whose glory? God's. Not the churches in Philippi. Not yours. Or mine. Or some other person in your life, those fruits of righteousness that come, they come through Jesus and to the praise and glory of God. You see how he like, he, he, goes, he goes external, then he goes internal, then he goes external again straight up to the gates of heaven in like, in like three verses. The guy's like doing crazy, he's doing mental gymnastics and spiritual gymnastics at the same time, all with our brains as we're reading it. Um, do you guys feel that? It's like, yeah, inside, now outside, now up, you know? And, and it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of the love of Jesus. It's interesting that in verse, uh, where is it, 10, you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So you talked about, mm -hmm. you know, the coming day, but that approve word, the Greek word there is a present, oh my gosh, I just lost it. It's a present active participle. So Correct. it's something you do now. Yes. And then there's the end that comes later. So can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> I had a thought, and it left, so... It left? Um, yeah. That's how it goes. That's why no, we have me notes. Me too. Um, yeah. The, um, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's talking about the love, and as you grow in that love, your wisdom and knowledge and discernment are going to grow, and as you're growing... In Christ, you're going to be able to approve what is excellent, what is right, what is just, what is holy. You'll actually be able to do those things. And then it says, pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
Now, right now where you sit, you are seated in the heavenly places. If you have faith in Jesus this morning, this morning, there I did it again, today, tonight, right now where you stand, you are a citizen of heaven. You are seated in the heavenly places with Jesus right now. As you are, and not as you should be. Hello? Because you're never going to be as you should be. If you were ever going to be there, ever, ever in your life, Jesus would not have had to die for you. So this purity and this blamelessness comes from Jesus himself. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of, your, of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, right? It speaks, to a, it speaks to a legitimate process that someone goes through, and eventually, you're going to come to the, at the day of Christ, when that, when that day comes, you and I are going to be shedding these bodies, these bodies that are going to die, that are full of sin and death. We're going to shed these, and we're going to be with him. And Scripture says we're going to be like him. However he comes back, we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but when he shows up, we're going to be like him. And that purity, that blamelessness is going to be because of our closeness to Jesus, because of the love that we have in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. So I have a question about me. that and a yes. thought, and this might be a rabbit trail, but that's oh, man. okay. We only got 10 minutes, bro. I know. Sorry. So, so my thought about that is, while everything you just said is 100% correct and all that, Paul is not, um, you said grace is a big theme of Paul, right? Mm -hmm. Grace mm -hmm. and not of works, lest any man should boast and all that stuff. So this, this line doesn't really fit with his justification theology. And so my thought is that the pure and blamelessness is, pure, is something totally relational in nature. Mm -hmm. So not having to do with salvation or justification. But the pure and blamelessness is so like when I get up to heaven, Jesus is going to look at me and say, oh, because you, let's, let's look at, what you did with other people hmm. as opposed to, because you're already saved, so like you're good. Mm -hmm. Your box is checked, you're good. Mm -hmm. And so this love and knowledge kind of helix that he's talking about and approving what is excellent and then talking about the grace, it's all very relational in nature. It is. And so to be 100%. pure and blameless is how we dealt with those that God has put in front of us potentially. No, amen. That's a good, that's a good observation, I, and I appreciate where, where you're going. Personally, I don't think that you can talk about purity and blamelessness for the day of Christ without justification. Because Paul talks about blamelessness and, and the approving what is excellent, your love growing more and more with knowledge and all discernment so you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And there's this trajectory of the life of someone who's saved from beginning to end. And that, in the, the, to me, when, when I'm looking at this text, the, ver, the, the and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I'm going to read the entire verse out one more time. Is that cool? We'll just hear it all together. Now we've kind of 
we've kind of fleshed some things out and, and talked through some things. And we talked about fellowship, partnership in the gospel, this, this grace being extended one to another, partners in grace, partnering with people that are locked up. That's actually pretty, uh, pretty awesome. I've done that many times. So it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that we, we can know it. We thank you that you are knowable. We thank you, Jesus, that you have overseen by your Holy Spirit, the writing down of your word. Your way of salvation, your way of love, you made sure that it stayed written through the centuries, through the millennia. I'm so grateful, Lord, that we can read it together in our own language and understand it for ourselves that the fruits of righteousness come through you, Jesus. And by our faith in you, our love grows for you and for others. I thank you, Lord, that you give us your righteousness. By our faith in you and what you did for us on the cross and rising from the dead, we get to stand with you and you get to be in us. Help us, Jesus, to, to understand that more and more and open our eyes to your mystery. I pray, Lord, that you would help us live in the place that Paul was living in saying that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding are, are in you. Everything we need to know is in you. How does that all make sense? I don't know. Because I don't need you to pour myself a bowl of cereal or make a cup of coffee. But Lord, you're with us in the midst of all of that. And there's things that you want us to learn in our lives about you. I pray that your spirit would have its way in our hearts 
Lord, we have a lot of clutter in our hearts in this culture that we live in. Would you, would you just show us some things that you need us to get out so that there can be more room for you and your plan and your purpose for our life? Help us, Lord, to quit playing with toys in the dark and allow you to flip the lights on and take the things out of the, out of the room that are in your way that we put there. Because, Lord, you have a mighty plan, and your plan is way better than ours. Your will is way better than mine. Lord, would you awaken us right now Help us, Lord, to take this love that we have for you and and let it boil over to our neighbors, to our friends at work, to strangers on the street. Would you do something new in our lives, in our city, in our jobs, in our families? Would you do a work of healing in the, in the lives of the people around us, in the broken relationships around us, in the broken relationships we're involved in, Jesus, would you do a work of healing? And I pray that we would humble ourselves the way that you humble yourself. I pray all this in your name, Lord. Everyone said? Amen. Amen.